Chapter Thirteen of Wilder's Hand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Wilder's Hand by J. Sheridan Le Fanu. Chapter Thirteen: The Pony Carriage. So soon as daylight came, I made a swift cold water toilet and got out into the open air with a solemn resolution to see the hated interior of that bedroom no more when i met lord chelford in his early walk that morning i'm sure i looked myself like a ghost at all events very wild and seedy for he asked me more seriously than usual how i was and i think i would have told him the story of my adventure despite the secret ridicule with which i fancied he would receive it had it not been for a certain insurmountable disgust and horror which held me tongue-tied upon the affair i told him however that i had dreamt dreams and was restless and uncomfortable in my present berth and begged his interest with the housekeeper to have my quarters changed to the lower story quite resolved to remove to the brandon arms rather than encounter another such night as i had passed stanley lake did not appear that day wilder was glowering and abstracted worse company than usual and rachel seemed to have quite passed from his recollection while rachel lake was as usual busy in her little garden that day lord chelford on his way to the town by the pretty mill road took off his head to her with a smiling salutation and leaning on the paling he said i often wonder how you make your flowers grow here you have so little sun among the trees and yet it is so pretty and flowery it remains in my memory as if the sun were always shining specially on this little garden miss lake laughed i am very proud of it they try not to blow but i never let them alone till they do see all my watering pots and pruning scissors my sticks and bass mat and glass covers skill and industry conquer churlish nature and this is my versailles i don't believe in those sticks and scissors and watering pots you won't tell your secret but i'm sure it's an influence you smile and whisper to them she smiled without raising her eyes on the flower she was tying up and indeed it was such a smile as must have made it happy and she said gaily you forget that lord chelford passes this way sometimes and shines upon them too no he's a dull earthly dog and if he shines here it is only in reflected light marjorie child fetch me the scissors and a hobbled ahoy of a girl with round eyes and a long white apron and bare arms came down the little walk and eyeing the peer with an awful curiosity presented the shears to the charming atropos who clipped off the withered blossoms that had bloomed their hour and were to cumber the stalk no more now you see what art may do how passe this creature was till i made her toilet and how wonderfully the poor old beauty looks now and she glanced complacently at the plant she had just trimmed well it is young again and beautiful but no i have no faith in the scissors i still believe in the influence from the tips of your fingers your looks and tones flowers like fairies 
have their favorites whom they smile on and obey and i think this is a haunted glen trees flowers all have an intelligence and a feeling and i am sure you see wonderful things by moonlight from your window with a strange meaning echo those words returned to her afterwards i'm sure you see wonderful things by moonlight from your window but no matter the winged words making pleasant music flew pleasantly away now among transparent leaves and glimmering sun by and by in moonlight they will return to the casement piping the same tune in ghostly tones and as they chatted in this strain rachel paused on a sudden with upraised hand listening pleasantly i hear the pony carriage dorcas is coming she said and the tinkle of tiny wheels coming down the road was audible there's a pleasant sense of adventure too in the midst of your seclusion sudden arrivals and passing pilgrims like me leaning over the paling and refreshed by the glimpse of the rogue steals of this charming oratory yes here comes the fair brownie send and he made his salutation miss brandon smiled from under her gypsy hat very pleasantly for her will you come with me for a drive rady she asked yes dear delighted marjorie bring my gloves and cloak and she unpinned the faded silk shawl that did duty in the garden and drew off her gauntlets and showed her pretty hands and marjorie popped her cloak on her shoulders and the young lady pulled on her gloves already in a moment like a young lady of energy and chatting merrily she sat down beside her cousin who held the reins as there were no more gates to open miss brandon dismissed the servant who stood at the pony's heads and who touching his hat with his white glove received his congé and strode with willing steps up the road will you take me for your footman as far as the town asked lord chelford so with permission up he jumped behind and away they whirled close over the ground on toy wheels ringing merrily on the shingle he leaning over the back and chatting pleasantly with the young ladies as they drove on they drew up at the brandon arms and little girls curtsied at doors and householders peeped from their windows not standing close to the panes but respectfully back at the great lady and the nobleman who was now taking his leave and next they pulled up at that official rendezvous with whitewashed front and post office in white letters on a brown board over its door and its black hinged window-pane through which mr driver or in his absence miss anne driver answered questions and transacted affairs officially in the rear of this establishment were kept some dogs of lawyer larkins and just as the ladies arrived that person emerged looking overpoweringly gentlemanlike in a white hat grey patelot lavender trousers and white riding-gloves he was in a righteous and dignified way pleased to present himself in so becoming a costume and moreover in good company for stanley lake was going with him to dutton for a day's sport which neither of them cared for but stanley hoped to pump the attorney and the attorney i'm afraid liked being associated with the fashionable captain and so they were each pleased in the way that suited them the attorney being long as well as lank had to stoop under the doorway but drew himself up handsomely on coming out and assumed his easy high-bred style which although he was not aware of it was very nearly insupportable and smiled very engagingly 
and meant to talk a little about the weather, but Miss Brandon made him one of her gravest and slightest bows, and suddenly saw Mrs. Brown at her shop door on the other side, and had a word to say to her. And now Stanley Lake drew up in the tax card, and greeted the ladies, and told them how he meant to pass the day, and the dogs being put in, and the attorney, I'm afraid a little spited at his reception, in possession of the reins, they drove down the little street at a great pace, and disappeared round the corner, and in a minute more the young ladies, in the opposite direction, resumed their drive. The ponies, being grave and trustworthy, and having the road quite to themselves, needed little looking after, and Miss Brandon was free to converse with her companion. "'I think, Rachel, you have a lover,' she said. "'Only a bachelor, I'm afraid,' as my poor Marjorie calls the young gentleman who takes her out for a walk on a Sunday, and I fear means nothing more. This is the second time I've found Chelford talking to you, Rachel, at the door of your pretty little garden. Rachel laughed. Suppose some fine day he should put his hand over the paling and take yours and make you a speech. You romantic darling, she said, don't you know that peers and princes have quite given over marrying simple maidens of low estate for love and liking, and understand matchmaking better than you or I, though I could give a tolerable account of myself after the manner of the white cat in the story, which I think is a pattern of frankness and modest dignity? I'd say with a courtesy, think not, prince, that I have always been a cat, and that my birth is obscure. My father was king of six kingdoms, and loved my mother tenderly, and so forth. "'Rachel, I like you,' interrupted the dark beauty, fixing her large eyes from which not light, but, as it were, a rich shadow fell softly on her companion. It was the first time she had made any such confession. Rachel returned her look as frankly, with an amused smile, and then said, with a comic little toss of her head, "'Well, Dorcas, I don't see why you should not, though I don't know why you say so.' "'You're not like other people. You don't complain, and you're not bitter, although you have had great misfortunes, my poor Rachel. There be ladies, young and old, who, the moment they are pitied, though never so cheerful before, will forthwith dissolve in tears. But that was not Rachel's way. She only looked at her with a good-humoured but grave curiosity for a few seconds, and then said, with rather a kindly smile, and now, Dorcas, I like you. Dorcas made no answer, but put her arm round Rachel's neck and kissed her. Dorcas made two kisses of it, and Rachel won, but it was cousinly and kindly, and Rachel laughed a soft little laugh after it, looking amused and very lovingly on her cousin. But she was a bold lass, and not given in any wise to the melting mood, and said gaily, with her open hand still caressingly on Dorcas's waist, I make a very good nun, Dorcas, as I told Stanley the other day. I sometimes, indeed, receive a male visitor at the other side of the paling, which is my grill, but to change my way of life is a dream that does not trouble me. Happy the girl, and I am one, who cannot like until she is first beloved. Don't you remember poor pale Winnie, the maid who used to take us on our walks all the summer at Dorling, how she used to pluck the leaves from the flowers, like Faust's Marguerite, saying, He loves me a little, passionately, not at all. Now, if I were loved passionately, 
I might love a little, and if I loved a little, it should be not at all. They had the road all to themselves, and were going at a walk up an ascent, so the reins lay loosely on the pony's necks, and Dorcas looked with an untold meaning in her proud face, on her cousin, and seemed on the point of speaking, but she changed her mind. And so, Dorcas, as swains are seldom passionately in love with so small a pittance as mine, I think I shall mature into a queer old maid, and take all the little wilders, masters, and misses, with your leave, for their walks, and help to make their pinafores. Whereupon Miss Dorcas put her ponies into a very quick trot, and became absorbed in her driving. End of chapter 13